It is so good to see you this morning. Let me add my welcome to those already given this morning. We're delighted that you're a part of worship at Dauphin Way, and it's a delight for me to be here on this wonderful Lord's Day, this second Sunday in Lent, St. Patrick's Day. I forgot that. I have no green on this morning. I thought it was Rodeo Sunday, so I wore my cowboy boots, but, you know... I wear these, these boots because my wife said to me recently, those pants are too long and you need some taller shoes, so I put on boots. There, there is a wonderful story related to that last uh, song that we just sang, It Is Well With My Soul. It's a hymn, uh, and, and that hymn was written by a man named Horatio Spafford. And Horatio Spafford lost everything he had in the great fire of Chicago his family was sailing back to England and they encountered a storm and, and were lost at sea. And then he was going back later uh, to attend to the final matters related to their death. And when they came to the spot where they were lost, he asked to be told, he went up on the deck and he wrote, it is well with my soul. An amazing, amazing story. Let me just take just a moment of personal privilege to thank you for all of your prayers and your concerns for us. My wife, Nell, has been in the hospital since January 11th. There's a very good chance that she will get out of the hospital this week uh, and go for rehab, so we're excited about that. She's come a long, long way. And you all have been so faithful in praying for us, and we felt those prayers. We've known that you were praying for us. In fact, Nell says, I can feel that people are praying for me, and it has made the difference, she says. So thank you for that. It's very, very much a gift to us. So this morning, the gospel lesson is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. And I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox for me, Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I appreciated Woods reading that passage from Genesis this morning. That is part of the text for this Sunday. And I asked him to read it, and I hope you paid close attention to it. It is one of those stories that reminds us that the Bible is a very ancient book. Abraham receives a promise 
The promise is, first of all, that he will have a child, and secondly, that the descendants of that child will inherit the land. It is a land of which Abraham will only own a burial plot. That will be the extent of his possession of that land. But he is assured that his progeny will indeed inherit and possess the whole land. Abraham questions how that can be. The Lord shows him the stars in the sky and said, if you can count them, then so will be the number of your descendants. And the Lord orders Abraham to kill and to arrange sacrificial animals. Then in the darkening of the night, the Lord causes a deep sleep to fall over Abram. And in that mysterious state of sleeping consciousness, Abraham perceives a torch, a fire, and a smoking pot that passes between the pieces of sacrificial flesh. It is a very ancient, and really to our minds, a very weird image, isn't it? Strange words. Of course, the gist of the story is covenant. It is all about the divine promise. It is all about the destiny of the people. The promise is made at the expense of life. It is vouchsafed by the shedding of blood. In words that Abram can surely understand, the Lord says to him, this is serious. I mean this. You can count on this. It will come to pass. And the scriptures say that Abram believed God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abram will only see the very beginning of the promise. But he is willing to bet everything on it. He is a man of destiny. And his destiny is to raise up a people who will claim an even greater destiny. The land is a part of the promise. And that land has been in contention all these years, and it still is. But to simply live in a particular place is not the whole of their destiny. The land provides the setting. It makes possible the environment in which Abraham's descendants will achieve their destiny. You see, the destiny is not about what they have. It is who they are. They are to become a people of blessing. They are blessed to be a blessing. They receive God's favor so that they can show God's favor to the rest of humankind. That is their destiny. That is their purpose. I think of the words of Zechariah, who upon the birth of John the Baptist declared, thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors. He has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That is their, de- that is their destiny. That is our destiny. You see, we too are a people of the promise. We are a people of the promise because we are human beings. And the promise is made to all humankind through Abraham that all the families of the world will be blessed. 
We are people of the promise because we follow Jesus, who is a descendant of Abraham. And yet there is no land in our destiny. There is no land in our promise. We follow Jesus who said of himself, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We follow Jesus who said, I go to prepare a place for you. And the place that Jesus goes to prepare for us is not a piece of real estate. It is a heavenly place. It is a place in God's kingdom. We are, in the words of the Hebrew of, of Hebrews, a people who consider ourselves strangers and foreigners upon the earth. We are looking for a better land, a heavenly one. And so we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The promise is not about the place. It is about personhood. We are a people who are destined to recover the image of God in which we were first made. We are a people who are destined to grow into mature love for God and for others. We live in the promise that if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are destined to become more and more like Jesus, to grow into his likeness, to know him and love him, and in him to love others. We are called and we are commissioned to make disciples who make a difference in this world. That is our destiny. That is our promise. So where is our promised land? What is the setting for us? Where are we to do this? How are we to do it? Well, there are many places But as I thought about this today, it seems to me that the two most immediate places where we accomplish this, the two places that are for us the equivalent of the land for the Hebrews, the two places where we do this are the church and our families. It is here in the church, it is with our families that we are able to serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness always in his presence. Here is the setting in which we live out the promise. It is here that we are prepared to receive God's blessing. From this center place of our lives, we are called to reach out and to bless others. And Lent is a time for us to stop for a moment of self-evaluation It is a time for us to ask ourselves, how well are we doing with our destiny? How faithfully are we living into the promise? How well, how consistently are we realizing our destiny? In his day, Jesus was warned by the religious leaders to flee Jerusalem. They tell Jesus that he must get out of there because Herod is trying to kill him. Herod, of course, is something of a ruler, a governor of sorts. 
And Jesus dismisses Herod as that fox. Herod is clever. Herod is strategic. He is dangerous. And he is all about himself and his own power and his own survival. He wants to claim his part of the land, his part of Jerusalem, and to protect it, and if possible, to expand his influence there. And Jesus is bold to declare that he, Jesus, will finish his work, the Herods of the world notwithstanding. And yet this threat from Herod awakens in Jesus Something deeper, something more tragic. Jesus turns and he begins to lament the fate of Jerusalem. Jerusalem represents all that the land is supposed to be. And it has become the kind of place that can produce a Herod. It has become the kind of place over which the Herods of the world plot and kill and struggle for power. The city of peace is anything but a place of peace. Filled with sinister intrigue and violence, it is a city over which all these factions are always fighting. It was then, it is now. It is a city concerned more about its survival than its destiny. And Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. A city that kills the prophets and stones the messengers. Jesus laments that Jerusalem will not receive the consolation of grace. He says, how often... I would have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. And you refused. And then Jesus speaks the most damning words of all. He says to Jerusalem, See, your house is left to you. It is the saddest of all fates What is meant to be destiny ends up as desolation. Your house is left to you. You are left with the shell. You are left with the place, but not the presence. You are left with the setting, but not the substance of the promise. You are left with the form, but no power. You have been so obsessed with controlling and protecting the structures that you have forgotten the purpose. You have failed to realize that the promised land is more about the promise than it is about the land. Now you are left with that which you have created and that is all. It is a sobering, sobering realization that what is meant to be destiny can end up as desolation. 
And we are no better inherently than those who were left to their, with their own house all those years ago. We cannot claim any special privilege. That was part of their problem. They claimed privilege without taking responsibility, thinking that some ancient sense of privilege would protect them from the choices they made for themselves. The same is true of us. It is true for our church. It is true for our families. These places that are meant to be the setting of our destiny can become scenes of desolations if we do not attend to the purpose for which they are given us. And so we examine ourselves. We ask ourselves the hard questions. How are we doing? What kind of people are we becoming? And the standard by which God measures us is love. It is kindness. It is compassion. Are we growing in grace to the end that we are becoming kinder, more generous, more forgiving? Because you see, that is our destiny. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, called it being made perfect in love. That is holiness. That is sanctification. That is our destiny. To grow up into the image of Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. These are the outward and visible manifestations of an inward and spiritual transformation. This is our promise that we can move from fallen selves, false selves, to the true self that is in Christ. And the promise is that he is always with us no matter what the external circumstances in every circumstance, even the hardest, we have the opportunity, the power, the purpose of growing into the very ones God has made us to be. And he is with us always. In these days when our church is so concerned about who's in and who's out, whom will we include, whom will we exclude, and how will we do it? It breaks my heart, and I suspect it breaks the heart of Jesus. God forbid that the Lord look to us and say, Well, you've got what you made, and that's it. Sisters and brothers, it is by our kindness, it is by our compassion, it is by our generosity that we are the descendants of Abraham. We have the ability to become the very ones God made us to be. And I pray that we will live into our destiny. 
The story is ancient. The images are strange. But every time we are invited to this table, grace is given. The promise is renewed. And destiny awaits. It is that at this table, the Lord says to us, through the shedding of blood, through the broken body, I am serious about this. I mean this. You can count on this. It will come to pass. And so we come with boldness. And everybody is welcome at this table. Everybody. You do not have to be a United Methodist. You do not even have to be baptized to come to this table. This table is a proclamation of the gospel. And everyone is welcome. The only requirement to come here is that we acknowledge our need to be here. And so we are bold to to confess that we have not loved God with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We've not loved our neighbors. We've rebelled against God's love. We've not heard the cry of the needy. We've broken God's law. And we pray that God would renew us. That God would free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we are glad to hear that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ. We are a forgiven people. Glory to God. Amen.